0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys here today. Uh, as Pastor Landon was, was talking about, uh, last Easter, or last Sunday on Easter was just absolutely amazing. 2,700 people, 41 baptisms. And I was just kind of sitting back and watching and just kind of reflecting on the day. And I, I was just so thankful uh, last Sunday night as I was just thinking about you guys and how many of you are serving and connecting and uh, sacrificing to make this church a great place to, to uh, be a part of. And, and, and just so many great things are happening as a result of your ministry. You're inviting people. Social media is blown up because you guys are posting stuff about the church and what God is doing. And I just want to say Thank you. You guys are doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And I'm just grateful to be your pastor. And of course, our staff is just amazing. And so uh, they've been doing an incredible job as well. So I I was just super thankful and humbled uh, last Sunday. And Today, uh, maybe you're new and maybe you haven't connected yet, and I just want to remind you uh, that Base Camp does start next Sunday, and uh, it's at 4 p.m. The the 9 a.m. filled up, so at 4 p.m. I'm going to be leading uh, that class, and I would love for you to come and connect and be a part uh, of of your first step, really, to get connected here at FC. And uh, today we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Open House. You know, we believe that you belong here. We've opened opened up this new facility, and uh, our heart is that you belong here. No matter where you're from or who you are or what you've done or what your background is, we believe that you can find a place to belong here uh, today. And, and last Sunday, we started this series, and, and we were, were really sharing our core values as a church. And last Sunday, we said that Jesus is life. It's all about the gospel. Everything that we do is, 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 is in an effort to help people connect with Jesus so that they can experience life. Today we're going to talk about our second core value, and it's growth happens in relationships. Growth happens in relationships. So why are relationships so important? Well, in John chapter 17, verse 4, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's praying to his father, and he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, what is the work prior to the cross that Jesus is referring to here? I completed the work you gave me to do. He hasn't yet gone to the cross. So what is he talking about? Well, what he is referring uh, to in that instance is this work of the disciples that he had invested into. So Jesus was spending his time investing in these 12 men, discipling them. And those 12 men ended up being this, this incredible movement that led to what we are experiencing today, which is the church. So this was Jesus's plan. This was God's plan to invest relationally in these 12 men so that they could then go out and disciple others and share the truth and share the gospel with other peoples and invest in them, that they would continue to invest in others. This is God's plan. Now, Jesus says when he meets the first disciples, he says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. The scripture says that he appointed 12 to be with him, that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus is saying, okay, come with me and and spend time with me. Be with me. We're going to develop a relationship. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you how to invest in other people. I'm going to teach you how to share the love of God with others. And as he spent this time with them for, for roughly three years, he, he did life with them. He invested into them. He taught them, they learned, they experienced him. And then, as he was, uh, as he arose back into heaven after his death, burial and resurrection, he says, "Now you are my witnesses. Go, go and make disciples." You see? It's this model that we read in the scriptures that we as a church say, okay, we see Jesus taking this model, investing his time and energy into 12 guys. He spent time with them. He did life with them. He discipled them. And then he sent them out to go and make disciples on their own. And so at Foothills Church, we we believe that this is the model that Jesus teaches us and shows us in Scripture. And so we do our best to try to connect people into relational environments. We call them small groups, so that there is an intentional leader investing into those folks in that group for the purpose of spiritual maturity under the foundation of a biblical and and, and scriptural uh, heartbeat. That we would see people mature in their faith and then be able to make disciples on their own. You and I are here today because someone made a disciple. Someone at some point decided that they were going to connect relationally. And so they connected with someone and, 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 and they invested and, and, and they experienced teaching and they experienced relationship with other people. And they poured into that person and that person grew uh, spiritually. And then they decided that they were going to invest into somebody else, and that somebody else was you. And so they poured into your life. They taught. They trained. They built a relationship with you, right? You and I are here today because somebody made a disciple. And so as we have been blessed, as we have grown, as we have learned, as we have have connected with Jesus, now we are, are then called to, in and through relationships, go and connect with others to help them grow as well. See, the reality is you need other people to grow as a follower of Jesus. You can't do this alone. And that's why we say growth happens in relationships. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to supersize your growth, if you want more of Jesus, a deeper relationship with Him, you need God's people. So what do these relationships look like? What do they look like and, 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 and what do we gain? What do we get when we connect relationally. Well, let's look at the Scripture in Luke chapter 14 at a story that Jesus tells. It's called a parable, and it's called the Parable of the Great Banquet. And a parable is a story that Jesus tells that has a point. And so in this uh, passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 16, Jesus is going to give us an invitation, and I want to talk about it today and connect it to where we're at as a church. Here's what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 16. He says, a man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Let me just pause here. Jesus is is likening this story. This this master is God. And he says, look, I, I have this great feast, this great banquet. I'm throwing a party, and the invitation is given to all of us. Everyone is invited to come in relationship with Jesus and have a seat at the table with him. You see, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, he is offering you a place to belong. He is saying that you can experience forgiveness, you can experience hope, you can experience joy, you can experience salvation by having a seat at the table with Jesus himself. And isn't this a great illustration of, of really what God is calling you and I to enjoy, He's calling us to a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And so He invites to this great banquet. And and we see all throughout the Scripture, Jesus sitting down at the table with His disciples and sitting down at the table with other people to connect relationally with. And so Jesus is offering you that same invitation to sit at the table with Him. Now, when you sit at the table with Jesus, the other great benefit that you get is that you get to sit around the table with God's people. And so what better way to visualize this and to understand it than with a dinner table? Because when you sit down at the table to to eat dinner with your close friends and your family, what an intimate setting. It's a small group of people. You're sharing a meal. There's something dynamic and special and unique about sharing a meal with people that you love. And there's there's this level of relationship that happens around the table, by the way, It's why the enemy tries to do everything he can, mom and dad, from keeping you away from the table with your kids. Because he knows knows that the relationship that you are able to build with your kids through that habit is valuable. And so that's why, you know, I think the enemy created fast food (laughs) to destroy our health and to—no, I'm just kidding. So the invitation is given, but what do we do? We make excuses, what are the excuses in the text? Look again at it. The first excuse is that I bought a field. I've got to go tend to it. So the excuse is I've got some material possessions that require a lot of work, require a lot of attention. And so then I've got to go take care of it. I've got a house. I've got a second house. I've got a vacation house. I've got some, you know, I've got a boat. I've got toys. I've got these things that I have that I've got to go get them service. I've got to work on the car. Therefore, I don't have enough time because of all of these material possessions that I have to connect relationally. What's the second excuse here? The second excuse is, hey, look, I've bought some oxen. I've got to go examine them. So this represents our job. So we've all used this excuse as well. Like we have a job and, and it keeps us extremely busy, And I've got so much going on relationally at work and invested in work and my occupation that I just don't have time for small group. I don't have time for church stuff. You know, I barely have enough time to get here on Sundays. Listen, we've all had these excuses, right? Material possessions get in the way. Our job sometimes gets in the way of connecting relationally. What's the third excuse that he gives? The third excuse, this guy says, "I, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. I mean, there's humor in the Bible all over the place, right? I mean, the guy's like, bro, I just got married. Shh, I'm on lockdown. She won't let me go anywhere, do anything. Right? All the guys in the room experience that. But here's the deal. Some of you have a spouse. It could be the husband. It could be the wife. And you don't want to connect relationally. Your spouse wants to, but you don't want to. And so they're trying to encourage you and they're saying, come on, we, we need to serve. We need to go. We need to attend regularly. We need to get in a small group. Come on, let's, let's connect. And you're dragging your feet. So sometimes relationships gets, gets in the way of us connecting relationally in God's church. Now, kids can, can sometimes complicate the situation, can't they? Because that's another relationship in our life that, that keeps us from connecting with God's people. Let's just be honest. Kids complicate our life. <laughs> it's just the reality. I've got four kids, and everything that we do is harder with children. <laughs> it's more expensive. Uh, it, it requires more space. It requires more planning, more logistics. It's just difficult. And sometimes we just, we just use that as an excuse. Our kids are busy in sports. Our kids have this. Our kids have that. And so we allow that excuse to keep us from connecting relationally. Can I just caution you here for a minute Our relationship with our kids is so important, so valuable, but what we're seeing in our culture today is a shift of idolizing our children. We idolize them, we worship them, and we worship the success that we want them to have in sports or in school, and that gets in the way of us becoming the follower of Jesus that he is calling us to become. Kids complicate things. I mean, uh, just think about it. Our young adults pastor. His name is uh, Pastor Taylor. He just had a beautiful little girl, he, he and his wife Victoria. And uh, their, their daughter's name is Esme, and she is just adorable and beautiful. And, and uh, he, I was talking to him the other day, and I said, how's it going? He was like, man, it is incredible. You know, she's, she's such a good baby. She's just so awesome. And I just thought, man, infants are incredible. You know, God is a smart God. What, what does He do? He gives us this, this beautiful, precious little, little infant. It doesn't talk. <laughs> Sleeps most of the time. Just got to feed it and change it. And if everything's healthy, essentially, you know, the baby is happy, right, for the first six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, whatever. Those are glorious days. Just, just imagine if you went to the hospital and have a baby, and the doctor brought back a three-year-old to you. <laughs> Talking about I don't want to go home, or I'm not eating that, or no. Had we go home with a three-year-old and have that happen, what would we do? We'd want to send it back. (laughs) We'd go back to the doctor and say, this one's not working out for us. Can we have another one? No, God is smart. He gives us these little beautiful babies that we love, and when they get older, we realize it would be inappropriate for us to send them away. There's no doubt about it. Kids complicate the situation. And listen, we, we have so many excuses. The, the excuses are endless. I've got, I've got too many material possessions that i got to keep up with. I've got a job I've got to keep up with that keeps me busy. I've got kids and relationships in my life. And all of these things are excuses that keep us away from growing spiritually. Now, why would we let these things get in the way of, of growing spiritually, of having a deeper relationship with Jesus. Why would we let these challenges stop us? Well, I want to encourage you today. We've got to overcome those challenges and these excuses and these lies that we embrace and believe because it's keeping us from Jesus. Let's continue in the story After the excuses are made, verse 21, he says, So the servant came and reported these things. He reported the excuses to the master. And then the master of the house became angry. Excuses make God angry, by the way. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Essentially, go out and invite people that you wouldn't normally invite to come and and, and have a seat at the table. Go out and and, and invite people who think they don't belong at the table. Go find them. Go, Go invite them because I've got a seat at the table for them as well. And then he says in verse 22, servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. You see, there's always room at the table. Jesus in his invitation is that he gives to you He he invites you, and he says, there's room. Then in verse 23, it says, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel them, plead with them, persuade them. Tell them how incredible it is to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Tell them how incredible connecting relationally is. Tell tell, tell them what you've seen God do in your life and, and what you're seeing around you. Go and compel them, persuade them to come. He said that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, what he's saying here is that he wants his house to be full, he wants the table to be filled. There's always room. You know, when I go to a movie, I love to go to the theater when nobody is there. That's like when I want to go. I, I like to spread out. If I go with a buddy, I don't want to sit next to him. I want a good little man space, open seat. Anybody with me on that? No need for us rubbing elbows in that awkward moment of like, he's touching me. So I like to kick my feet up. I like my space. Now, an empty movie theater is a good thing. Empty seats in God's church is not a good thing. It's a serious matter. So we created this space for people who are not here yet. We've created a lot of empty spaces as I look around the room, and that is a a, a great step of faith. Now, the burden and the excitement and the opportunity for you and I is that we get to compel people to come in and experience the love and joy and relationship that Jesus offers. And the point of the story Jesus is trying to make is that the invitation has been given to all, but the religious leaders that were listening to the story were rejecting him as Messiah. They're not going to come in and sit at the table with him. And so Jesus says, I've given the invitation. They're not going to accept it. So essentially, you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get some people when you invite them or try to compel them, they're going to say, no, I don't want to go. They're going to say similar things that we've heard before. They're a bunch of hypocrites at church, and and there's nothing there for me, or I'm too busy. You're going to get no's, but invite them anyway. Compel them anyway to come and pull up a chair at the table and experience a relationship with Jesus and experience a relationship with God's people. Now, what do we get when we actually sit down at the table? And connect relationally with God's people. Because there are many, many things that you and I get. There are many things, uh, benefits that we get when we actually do this. But I could talk all day about this. I want to give you a few if you want to take some notes. The first thing that we get when you decide to connect relationally at Foothills Church is, is you get a common purpose to grow spiritually. So when you commit to a small group, What you're doing is is you're getting a common purpose. The reason why we are meeting as a small group is to grow in our spiritual maturity. That's why we gather. The win for us, scoring a touchdown, winning the game at FC, is that you would take your next step of faith, that you would mature in your faith. And so when we gather together for the purpose to grow spiritually, we're gathering around biblical teaching, biblical discussion, We're in. We're offering and engaging in dialogue. We're challenging each other. The point is not just to eat food together. The point is not just to watch the game. The point is to gather around the Bible, wrestle with tough questions, and then challenge each other to apply those scriptures to our life. That's the whole point. Now, if you're in a group, I want you to tune into this for a second. If you're not in a group, you can take a break, I guess. But those of you who are in a group, this is why we need our groups to be small. We always think in America that bigger is better. We always want bigger, right? And we think if we can get more people in our group or more people in our house, then the greater I am. That's not necessarily true. We want our groups to grow. But once they get past the number of 18 or so, some things begin to happen in that dynamic relational environment that aren't essentially healthy when you're gathering to grow as a disciple one of the first things that happens is you don't have enough time to answer everybody's questions because there's just too many people. Another thing that happens is you're not able to include everyone into the discussion. When you got 20, 21, 22 people in the group, it's just hard to include everybody just from a a logistical standpoint. And so that's why you hear Pastor Todd, you hear me, you hear all of our pastors saying, hey, look, when you get to that, that level, we've got to branch that group so that we've got to train somebody and disciple somebody to be able to lead a group and then take some people to be in a a new group and a branch group, birth a group. Why? Because the purpose is to grow spiritually. It's not just to hang out with your friends. The purpose is not just to, you know, watch the game. The purpose is to grow. And so sometimes that means I got to, you know, go into another environment that's going to help me grow. And that's where the rub is. Sometimes we're we don't, we don't want to embrace that change, but that's why we go back to the purpose. Secondly, when you connect relational and FC, you get the right kind of relationships. Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? These are the kind of relationships we need. We need relationships that inspire us and that, that will grow us and encourage us. We don't just need friends. We need authentic, godly friends to help us grow spiritually. See, we all have friends that don't challenge us. We all have friends that, that, that kind of hold us back. We have friends that kind of keep us in a bad routine or connected to bad habits. And, and so we, we all have those relationships in our life that don't help us grow or, or help us kind of stay in our comfort zone. We need iron sharpening iron relationships in our life to, to motivate us to move forward, to motivate us to grow and experience a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's why your mom always told you to choose your friends wisely. It's why when that neighborhood friend came over, she was like, mm I don't like him. And she just kind of had that check in her spirit. And she was like, I don't like that guy. I don't want you hanging around him. And you lied and you said, he's a good guy, mom. He's a good He wasn't, was he? He was a bad influence on you. And we have to experience that. But this is important to understand because it's not just a a, a wise thing that mom said. Who you spend time with will affect who you will become. Another way to say this is you become who you hang out with. In fact, it's actually scientifically been proven. There's a book called, the title, it's called The Powers of Two by Joshua Schink. And he says, over time, Two members of a pair not only develop a private vocabulary, so they, 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 they kind of have that, you know, way of communicating with each other. You know, you've had that with a close friend. You just know what he's thinking or he's saying, and you don't even have to say it, and you're just kind of connected with that vocabulary. But not only developing that private vocabulary, but they start to match each other in basic rhythms and syntactical structures of their speech. So the cadence of how you talk, the vocabulary that you use, as you're connected with this friend, you begin to mimic each other. It says this is due in part to the astonishing power of mimicry, which psychologists call social contagion. And just by being near each other, The psychologist Elaine Hatfield has shown people come to match accents, speech rates, vocal frequency, pauses, quicknesses to respond. Psychologists used to think that people imitated each other in a deliberate attempt to be liked. But mimicry, he says, is far more pervasive than this and is largely non-conscious. Even intimate partners, like husbands and wives. They share physical postures, breathing patterns. They use the same muscles so often. The psychologist Robert Zach and colleagues found that in a study of spouses that they even come to look like each other. (laughs) Have you ever seen an old couple and they just kind of look alike? You're like, dude, they look exactly alike. Yeah, that's going to happen to you. Some of the wives are like, dang it. (laughs) I don't know what that happen to me. So it's not just... It's not just mom's wisdom. It's a proven fact. Scientifically, psychologically, the people that we hang out with, we start to talk like, we start to even, our cadence sounds the same. You know, so your vocabulary changes, what you wear changes. Everything is impacted by who you hang out with. So you don't just need friends. College students, you don't just need friends. High school students, you don't just need friends. You need the right kind of friends to experience a deeper relationship with Jesus. Mimicry is a powerful thing. And I'm convinced that nothing great happens in life alone. Nothing happens great in your life alone. It always happens in the confines of relationships. Just think about some famous people here. J.R. Tolkien had C.S. Lewis. And he said, had it not been for C.S. Lewis, there would have never been 25 hours worth of movies that we all watch called The Lord of the Rings. Steve Jobs had Wozniak. Jerry Seinfeld had Larry David. Ben had Jerry. Tom had Jerry. Bert had? And Batman had? See, for for growth to happen, you want to supersize your spiritual growth, you need others in your life, that ironing, sharpening, ironing type of relationship to grow spiritually Thirdly, when you connect relationally at FC, you get encouragement and accountability. Encouragement and accountability. Ecclesiastes 4 9 says, Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. I mean, we're all gonna fall. We're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna go through seasons of suffering and seasons of trial. But the scripture says, Woe to him who has no one to lift him up when he is down. Hebrews three thirteen says, encourage one another daily, not once a week, not every now and then, daily he says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called the day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a way of deceiving you, darkening your heart, hardening your heart towards sin. That's why we need encouragement every single day. And so when we encourage each other, we're helping each other know God and live for him. To hang on when things are tough and to turn from sin and to turn to God. The heart of encouragement is I believe in you. I will walk with you and I'll warn you when you start to walk, walk the wrong path. So to be encouraged, you got to be authentic. Authentic. This is the kicker here. Many, many of us, even if you're in a small group, as adults, we like to hide our, our fears. We like to hide our struggles. We like to hide our questions. And even though we're sitting in this small group, we're, we're hiding, and that creates pretend relationships. All of these surface-level relationships. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Great. See you later. We're just, we're just going through life with all of these pretend relationships. And we're missing out on authenticity. We're missing out on a deeper relationship that would help us really discover who Jesus is and really walk in a deeper relationship with Him. And so when we, when we come into a relational environment, we've got we've to give some trust to people. We've got to let down our walls. We've got we've to open up ourselves to, to other people. Why? Because if we're not willing to be authentic, you won't experience encouragement. How can I encourage you if I don't know what you're really struggling with? If you're so general all the time, then my encouragement's gonna be pretty general for you. But if you're honest with me and say, this is my biggest fear, then I can can say, I get that. Let me show you what God's word says about that. Let's start building you up and encouraging you daily sharpening you so that, so that the Spirit of God would expose that lie and you could be known in a fuller sense and you could, you, could, you could give yourself in a fuller sense. This is what God is calling us to experience. Number four, when we connect relationally to FC, you get to give yourself. Now think about it. If you're not giving ministry, if you're not giving yourself away relationally, and all you're doing is taking, then you're not experiencing Jesus on a deeper level. But when you're in a relational environment, you get to give your ministry. You get to use your gifts. You get to use how God has blessed you to help other people. It's it's, it's this relationship where there's, there's not only do I get to receive encouragement and accountability, but I get to give it to you. And so I get to give myself away. Now, why is this so important? Well, I would say that it's important because when we are in these relationships, we're able to demonstrate our faith. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is fruit. This is evidence that you are maturing as a follower of Jesus. And so when I'm in a relational environment, I'm developing these relationships with people. I am able to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit that God has done inside of my heart. So love for who? I'm able to demonstrate love for those who I'm in relationship with. Patience for whom? Those that I'm in relationships with. Self-control towards whom? Those that I'm irritated by in my small group that I'm able to demonstrate self-control and patience and love towards them. You see, God uses those relationships that irritate us to grow us When people hurt our feelings, when they offend us, God uses those situations for us to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit that now I get to forgive. If no one ever offends you, if no one ever hurts you, how in the world would you be able to do the most glorious and godly thing that you could ever do in this life? Forgive somebody. See, we don't want to go that path because the pain is so fearful. And we've, we've, we've experienced some of that pain, right? And as a result of that, we realize it's a little risky. We realize that we're not sure we want to come to the table. But let me encourage you today. It's time for you to take that next step. It's time for you to realize that growth happens in relationships. And so it's going to require more than just Sunday morning attendance. When you are ready to really taste, and experience the love and joy and power of the Holy Spirit, then it's time for you to take that step and get into a small group. Now, at FC, our small groups are kind of coming to a close as we get towards the summer months. June and July, we take off to give our small groups a break, our, our leaders a break, host homes a break. People travel so much, it's a little inconsistent, so we take those two months off to recoup and recharge. But one of the things that we're doing this summer, uh, brand new, is, is, is summer Bible studies. So beginning in June, you'll have an opportunity t- to connect in a women's group, a men's group, uh, a study on marriage, a book of the Bible, several different ways that you can connect at different times and stuff, whatever fits your schedule. So I just kind of want you to jot down that note today and, and, and pursue that this summer that you would take that step to connect. Now, others of you have, ha- are going through a season of pain. And so maybe you've just gone through a divorce or maybe you, you're battling an addiction or, or maybe something along those lines is going on and, and you need a safe environment where you can immediately begin to connect with people who are like-minded. And so we have a support group that meets every Monday night. And this is for any kind of grief that you're going through, any kind of addiction, any any suffering that you're going through. This is a great place for you to come and and be with some of our trained volunteers and and be able to be encouraged and connect relationally. Now, listen, if you're brand new to FC or maybe you've been here for a while and, and you've never gone to base camp, the call to action today is for everybody in here to make the commitment to go to base camp, because that is, in fact, your first step to connect to the ministries and your spiritual journey here at Foothills Church. Some of you kind of go to small groups, and that's, those are great. That's a great first entry point. But I'm telling you, God uses base camp and camp two and camp three to take you on a spiritual journey. We are seeing it happen. And so I want to encourage you to join me next Sunday at 4 p.m., at base camp to help you take that next step of faith. Now, let's think about this for a minute because some of you are like, <clears throat> I know exactly what today at lunch is going to be like. Like my wife is going to be all over me today about a small group. After what you just said, Trent, my husband, he's definitely going to want to do this. My, my son, my daughter, they're going to want to do this on Wednesday night. And I know that that, that's a little uncomfortable for some. It's a little bit risky, right? It's like giving myself on authenticity. That's scary. I've been hurt before. What happens if I get hurt again? Well, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Luke 22. Jesus sits down at the table with his disciples again. And he is about to have a a meal that we call the Last Supper. And As he institutes the Last Supper, what he actually does before they start eating is he washes the disciples' feet. As an act of service in humility, he washes their feet. The master washes the disciples' feet. And then he says this in verse 15, or verse 14. It said, when the hour came, he reclined at the table. So they sit at the table together. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. we just think about this for a minute? Jesus invites the 12 disciples to sit at the table with him, To eat with him, to do life with him, he invested and poured himself out into these men. And who is sitting at the table with him that is going to betray him? Judas. He just washed the betrayer's feet. He just spent three years of his life with the betrayer. And this isn't news to Jesus. He doesn't just learn that now Judas is going to betray him. No, the day he created Judas, the day he decided to create Judas Judas, before the foundations of the world, he knew that Judas would betray him. And yet he decided to sit at the table anyway. He decided to invite him into his life. Folks, I don't know about you, but that is extremely powerful for me because I've been hurt. I mean, I've been offended. I've been in ministry for 20 years now, and, and there have been many people who have hurt, tried to hurt my family, hurt my reputation, hurt my ministry. They've betrayed my trust. And you know what happens when people do that in my life? I immediately want to build up a wall around my heart and protect myself from not getting hurt again. I don't want to experience that again, so I'm just going to kind of you know, stay at a distance from people and, and, and be fake and, and, and not be authentic. and That's the temptation for all of us. I mean, my goodness, wouldn't, wouldn't you think Jesus would want to deal with that as well? Like, oh, God, do I really have to get Judas around it? Do I have to wash his feet? Do I have to really go through with this? And yet willingly, he invites him to the table. Look, I know that relationships are risky. I know that some of you have have been hurt before. You've been in groups that maybe your feelings have been hurt. You've been in churches where your feelings have been hurt. You've been into environments and situations where it hasn't gone well. But Jesus would tell you that even though you've experienced those moments, what he allows us to do with those moments is forgive. Demonstrate love. Demonstrate self-control. Demonstrate patience, even when people are sinful. I don't blame the church when somebody hurts me. I don't blame God when somebody hurts me. I blame sin. And typically, people that are hurting the most tend to hurt people the most. And so when we recognize that and we see these as opportunities for us to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, maybe, just maybe, you can start to think about it differently and maybe, just maybe, you will have the guts to take the next step, to enter a risky situation and say, here I am. This is the real me. And maybe, just maybe, in return, you experience a deeper, more vibrant, more powerful, more incredible relationship with your Lord and Savior like never before. So that's my encouragement for you today. And we want to close by inviting you to share in the Lord's Supper. As Jesus invited the disciples to the table, we invite you to the table to, to receive the bread and the juice, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and the juice representing the blood that was spilled out for our sins So this is for those who have committed their life to Jesus. I realize you might have a son or a daughter in here, and maybe they've not made that decision. This is a great opportunity for you to teach them what the Lord's Supper really means. It's it's about remembering the sacrifice. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to receive this. There's a table here, there, two back there, here, here, two back there. So you guys can spend some time maybe in your seat, just as the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, we're to examine our heart. Maybe you wanna take a moment to pray and then you can get up out of your seat, come and take the bread, take the juice, take it back to your seat, pray a little bit, take the juice. We're gonna sing a song as you guys do this and uh, we're gonna be encouraged today by what God is doing in our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the forgiveness that we're able to experience through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't want to take that for granted today. We don't want to run by that today. We want to remember it. We want to live in the joy. We want to live our life for you, Christ. So grow us, take us to deeper relationships. Help us to take those steps relationally. And Father, we, as we receive this invitation, God, we are physically getting up out of our seats, coming to the table as a representation that we are accepting your invitation, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can begin to move.